Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good day, everyone. This is Tony Moskal with your high school sports podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for everyone. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? Hey, the NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Did you bet on the Dodgers to win? Did they erase that 32-year championship drought? Or did the Tampa Bay Rays end up pulling the rug out from under the Dodgers to take home their first championship? By the time I post this podcast, it will either be Game 7 or it will be all over. From game spreads to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take an advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Once again this week, I'm headed back to my past unsuccessful coaching days with someone who I've known for a long time. We met at Crespi High School many years ago. He ventured away from Crespi and headed to coach at multiple places at various levels, achieving success no matter where he went. As an assistant coach or head coach, he's done it all. He won four championships, compiling a 68-14-2 record at Kahuku High School in Hawaii. He was the special teams coordinator, defensive line coach at the University of Hawaii, also coached for the Hawaiian Islanders in the Arena League. He was an assistant coach at Yale University, defensive coordinator at Hill House High School in Connecticut, where he helped the team to a 2012 state championship. Recently, he was the head coach at Occidental University in Eagle Rock, California. And most recently, he was back with his old friends, Jim Benkert and Rich Fong at Simi Valley High School. Doug Simonis, it's been a long time, Doug. Thanks for joining me here. Oh, you're welcome, Tony. It's good to hear your voice, man. How much fun was it getting back together with Jim and Rich? Oh, it was awesome. You know, that's the thing. You know, we were coached together for uh, a couple, three years in uh, 85 through 87 at Crespi, and then I left to go to Hawaii. But when I started uh, coaching college, Southern California was one of my recruiting areas, so I always went through and saw Jim, and he had players that I liked. And so, uh, you know, we, we stayed in touch all those years, but we never coached again. And then when I retired to Puerto Rico and uh, – he kind of called me out of the blue and, and asked me if I was bored and did I want to coach. And <laughs> when he moved to see me and, uh, you know, I said, yeah. And, and he took care of me and uh, it worked out great. And uh, one of the things that, you know, Bill always taught us, and I think all of his assistant coaches learned from him was, you know, hire good people and let them do their job. And, uh, you know, that's what Jim did with me. He asked me to be the DC. He gave me the defense you know, he knew he didn't have to worry about it. He didn't question what I was doing. He let me put in what I wanted and run it. And, uh, you know, we, we worked well together because he's an offensive guy. And, and so it was a lot of fun. And, and it was great to see Rich and work with him on the defensive side, too. And that was the thing about Bill Riddell is Bill. I, and I remember those meetings we were in at, at Crespi in the classrooms where he would say, OK, hey, Jim, you're running the offense. Here's the playbook. Frank Bean, Doug Simonis, you guys are running the defense. I don't know what this stuff means, but just make sure you stop people. And and I think a lot of people that are in leadership positions forget that. The, they don't hire good people. They just want to be in charge and micromanage everything. 
yeah, micromanaging is a problem. And, and if you if you don't hire good people, then, you know, it comes back to you and you've got to fix it, you know. But if you hire good people and trust them and, you know, let them do their job, then it makes your life easier. And I know, you know, being a head coach, that, that sure, uh, when I had guys that I could trust and, and uh, let them do their job, it made it easier for me. And then, you know, as an assistant, I didn't want the head coach, you know, getting in my way. Let me do my job. And so, you know, I think that's that's a successful formula, a successful formula, definitely. Now, you grew up in Mesa, Arizona, went to a JUCO there, found your way to Cal Lutheran. How did you find your way to Cal Lutheran, or did Cal Lutheran come and find you? Well, they Cal Lutheran used to recruit the Arizona JCs pretty pretty hard, and and they actually were after a linebacker. I was kind of the tag along, and I came to you know California, and and you know I, I was ready to get out of that. Arizona Heat, and the linebacker ended up going to UC San, San Diego or U San Diego, and, and I ended up at Calu, and uh, it uh, uh, had a great two years there, made some great friends. Um, we won a lot of games, uh, and that's where I met Coach Riddell my junior year. Now, how much of a role model was Bill? Because we all, we all joke about Bill, what a great guy he is, what a funny guy he is. You know, he could sell ice to an Eskimo twice and raise the price the third time. But what an amazing coach he is. What are some of the things that, that you took away from working with him? Um, well, I think, you know, Bill Bill treated people uh, fairly. He was uh, honest with you and, and you knew where you stood with him. It wasn't a lot. Of, there never was a question about, you know, what was going on. Everybody was on the same page because Bill made sure. Um, you know, he, like I said, he, he hired good people and let them do their job. And the other thing I think I learned from Bill when, you know, with Russell was when you have a star player, you know, you, you treat him like a star player and you make sure he's ready to roll on Friday night, you know, and, and uh, I think Bill may have got that. There's a famous quote from Jimmy Johnson that says, I treat all my players the same, differently. And so, yeah. you know, uh, I learned that, you know, when I, when you got a special talent, you you make sure that that kid's ready to roll on Friday or Saturday. Well, I remember a story about Jimmy Johnson. A coach comes up to him and says, you know, hey, there was a press conference. A third string tight end fell asleep in a meeting, and Jimmy says, cut him. And a, a reporter says, well, what if it's Troy Aikman falling asleep in a meeting? He says, I'm going to get him a pillow. Exactly. So those are, you know, those are some of the things, you know, that I learned from Bill and, and, you know, he just has a great sense of humor. And, you know, he, he also, you know, told me that the most important thing in coaching and being a, being a coach is loyalty and, you know, you're loyal to your head coach and that he can trust you. And, and I think that's, you know, something that I, I carried for a long time and, and looked for in my assistance and, and definitely was that to the, the head coaches that hired me. Yeah, you don't want anybody, you know, you don't want to have to be looking over your shoulder. Now, you've coached at all levels, you know, Pop Warner High School, college, Division One, the Arena Football League. What was the biggest difference in each level that you coached? Well, the high school kids, you know, you're, you're, you're really developing the, the younger players and, and, you know, you're, you're teaching them the game and, and they're growing up as young men and, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old. So you are really a, a role model for them. Um, once you know they get to college, they're they're more independent. They're living alone. Their their parents aren't you know 
there anymore. And I, I think at high school level, you have to deal with the parents all the time. At college, you know, I wasn't fielding phone calls on why Johnny wasn't playing. You know, we're at college now. I'm sorry. So, um, you know, that was that was a that was a difference. And you're, you're still developing the kid and, and teaching things. But, um, you know, that there is a big difference between high school and college. And then when I coached arena, they were grown ass men. I mean, they had kids and stuff and it was, it was a business, you know, and, and uh, they, there was an expectation of a standard of play and responsibility. And, you know, guys didn't sleep in and miss a practice and, you know, their, their car didn't break down and stuff like that. So, you know, just, just different, uh, you know, levels of maturity and independence as you get older. You've been an assistant. You've been a head coach. What was the biggest adjustment going from whether you're a position coach to a coordinator to now you're running your whole program? Well, you're just responsible for everything. I mean, you know, you, you hire good good coaches that can, uh, you know, coach their positions and coach their side of the ball and coordinate it and stuff. But, you know, you, you got to oversee everything. And, and you know, that, that means, uh, you know, the academics, the fundraising, the facilities, dealing with the the AD and the administration, you know, on campus pre- at high school and on campus presence, making sure you're, you, you know, you're dealing with uh, all the teachers and the kids are taking care of business in the classroom, and then then you handle all the recruiting, you know, all the coaches that come through, and you know, when I was at Kahuku, it, I mean, there we we put you know five, six, seven kids in D one every year, and so it was there were just tons of coaches through there all the time, so. You know, you, you, you have to make sure that the kids are uh, ex- understand the expectations academically and football wise of, of what they need to do to go to the next level. And, you know, just the overall program. And, and you know, you, you got to make sure that uh, your assistants are happy and you got to make sure that your uh, parents are happy and your kids are happy. And I think that's, you know, you, you're in charge of everything. The buck stops there. And I think once you build a culture where, uh, you know, people trust each other and the, the unselfishness and, um, you know, that you love each other on, in your in your staff and on your team and and people believe and trust in you, then then it, it makes it easier. And I think that's the main thing is you you as the head coach have to build that culture. When you were starting at Crespi and we were all young and, you know, we weighed a lot less and we weren't so gray and you've been doing it for a long time. I've been around it a long time. What are the the couple of things that jump out at you where coaching has just changed so much, or maybe it really hasn't? Well, it, it has and it hasn't. I mean, I think the kids are different now. Um, I think that, you know, you, they don't, they don't respond to yelling. I mean, you go, you gotta, you gotta be really selective when you go to the whip, you know, I mean, you, you, because a lot of kids will shut down and um, they just don't, they don't, negativity isn't, isn't how they've been treated. That's not how they've been parented. That's not how they've been, you know, uh, trigger words. And uh, they have, you know, a, a social worker and a therapist and a this and a that. And, you know, I mean, kids, kids, I mean, kids, kids have, they didn't have that in the eighties. You know, you, you could, you could yell at a kid and, 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 you know, they responded by it as long as you gave them a hug at the end of the day. Um, you know, I think the helicopter parenting is, is uh, a lot. Kid, parents, you know, they're, they're, they try to be friends with their kids and not, and not parent them and, and make sure they're doing the right thing. And, and when, a, when an, another adult 
person gets after them instead of, you know, what did the kid do wrong? Because I trust your judgment. It's what are you doing to my kid? You know, and, and, and you're unfair and don't do that or I'll sue you, you know. So that's kind of a kind of a different thing. We laughed earlier about, you know, the best coaching job in America is at the orphanage, you know, because there are no yeah. but um but then there's other kids that still, I think kids still want uh, discipline and they want direction and they want to be motivated and they want to be challenged. And, you know, so football still offers that and, and some kids really respond to that. And, and I, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with their background. I think a big thing, you know, the concussion thing and the CTE and all that has really changed a lot of things. And, you know, parents aren't really... A lot of parents don't want their kids to play football. You know, they just look at it and say the risk isn't worth the reward. So, um, you know, I think I think that's a challenge. And I, sh- I certainly saw that at, you know, Occidental and Yale with the concussion thing. And as soon as a kid, you know, showed any type of uh, concussion, they went into protocol and everything was, you know, shut down until he was ready. And we, you know, when you don't have a lot of depth, man, you know, you get a couple of kids that are have concussions and they're out. And so... Um, you know, they used to, you know, rub dirt on it and, and uh, put us back in the game, you know, and I think that's why I can't remember what day it is. But uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, thank that's you. why I have that calendar on my phone to tell me what day it is and all that stuff. And and yeah, it has changed. And, you know, I think high school is still pure. Kids play for the right reasons. But so many people are chasing scholarships, playing year round you know, doing all the, the, the travel stuff, the seven on seven, doing this. And we're losing the multi-sport athlete. Do you think that's good for the game of football where everybody's just chasing all this stuff, doing all this seven on seven and, and not just becoming better athletes? No, I, I personally like kids to play several sports. Uh, I always promoted that and understood that the seat, the sport in season has the priority. And I, you know, I, I wanted kids to, be put in as many competitive situations as possible. I want them to respond. I remember one time at Kahuku, there were a couple of kids that were vying for the coming up, vying for the quarterback. And I remember uh, this one kid, you know, playing basketball and he's on the line at the end of the game. He's got to make a couple free throws. And he just got up there and stroked them both. And it was like, that's my quarterback. That kid has ice in his veins. He's the one I want, you know I mean? So I think I love that kids play a couple of different sports. You know, I, I, I think it's important. I think they get, they get more coaching, they get more, uh, you know, experiences, they get more chances to compete. And, and I want that as coach, you know, that the weight training now is so intense that, you know, the kid's got to figure out how to, you know, how to get in the weight room, but that doesn't mean he couldn't play basketball or baseball or run track or, or, you know, do those things. Yeah, I agree 100%. And and I've talked to some college coaches and they say the same thing. I just want somebody that's been able to compete in in different areas. Um, And recruiting kids, you know, those of us who are fans of the game, we follow recruiting, we read about kids all over social media. And, And you've done this, you've been there, you've been in the trenches. How closely do you monitor the social media of kids that you're recruiting. And did you ever get to a point where you just dropped somebody because of what they were doing on there? Yeah. I mean that not only do the coaches monitor the social media, but uh, you know, when we were at Yale and, and Occidental admissions is, is monitoring. If there's, you know, if 
a kid shows up at a you know pitcher at a party and he's got a beer in his hand and he's underage, or if something is said, um, you know that is you know racist or sexual or something like that. I mean, boom, that's a red flag right now. That you, you're not going to get admitted to that school if those things show up. I mean, you know, you you really got to be careful. The kids have to be careful about what's put on social media. And, and man, everything is filmed now. I mean, I it's crazy. I, I'm so glad that they didn't have uh, iPhones uh, when I was in college and, and high school because, you know, I, I wouldn't want all the stuff I did film for sure. But it's like, it's now, I, I don't know how they avoid it. And, and recruiting wise, it is watched. It is monitored, you know, they're, and for the academic schools, you know, my last two uh, stops at Yale and Oxy were, you know, really academic schools. So, you know, every grade is is important and your your SAT scores and your, you know, we had we had a kid that didn't get in, that was denied admissions to Occidental because the teacher didn't write a great uh, recommendation for him. And, you know, so there's there's just so many things that go into it now. At, at that level now, you know, at SC and, and uh, you know, some of the football schools, the big Alabama those schools, probably not as much. Um, I think they're looking at a kid's character, obviously, but they're looking at Kenny play and, and help us win a national championship because it's a business. Yeah, if, it, if he runs a four five forty, it's funny how that becomes his GPA as well sometimes. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, along the lines of social media, we we often see kids, and rightfully so, because kids are happy they get offers. You know, hey, so blessed to receive my however many offer from however whatever school it is, and and props to those kids. But I think, and and help me out here, do kids understand and realize that some of these schools are offering well over 200 to 250 kids, and they're just in this big, you know, melting pot of 10 other guys at their position. Yeah. I mean, they, they definitely offer more kids than uh, they have scholarships for, but they they're basing that on the fact that not, you know, not all those kids that they offer are going to come there because they do have other offers. But yeah, I mean that the, the thing that when I was at Kahuku, which was a, you know, predominantly Polynesian school, um, lower social economic, um, you know, a lot of times uh, Samoan or Tongan was spoken in the home. You know, we had to prep these kids academically. You know, a school came in and loved them and everything. And, I, and then it's okay. You know, we're talking about your GPA and your, you know, classes, required classes you have to take and your GPA. And we're talking about your SAT score. And so, you know, we created, my wife created a SAT prep class that was an elective that the kids took and they, you know, cause they had to get a score on the SAT and they had to get, and they had, we had to make sure that they were taking, you know, math, science, English, things like that. So, you know, even the minimal uh, NCAA requirements have, you know, have to be met for these, for kids to receive the scholarship. Now you talk about, you know, UCLA and you talk about the Ivies and you talk about the D3, you know, uh, Skyac schools and some of those things. Now, now you're, now you're talking about, you better have AP classes. You better have big time test scores. So there's there's a lot that goes into it besides just this kid's a hell of a football player. Yeah. And I think as a teacher myself, 
you know, and then obviously you being at the high school level for so many years, sometimes I think that's a, a difficult thing to get across to kids because kids sometimes think that their talent alone will get them to that next level. And, and that's just not the case. You know, you still have to go to class while you're at school, no matter what school you're at. Right. And that's where the coach and the counselor and the teachers, the, the community do it and the parents. And, and unfortunately, some kids don't have parents that, you know, understand that and, and, and that, you know, are making sure that kids are, are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And, and so when, when you're in that situation as a head coach and you see that the, the kid's not getting the family support and understanding that you've got to take it on yourself to make sure that that young man is doing what he needs to be doing, taking the right classes, studying, doing, doing those things. So when that opportunity comes and he can get that scholarship and that free education, that he's able to take that. And, and, you know, that's, that's a life changer for a lot of kids that parents aren't, you know, they're not, they don't have a college education. He's the first kid that's, that's going to school and, and their family and things like that. So, you know, that, that was a responsibility that, uh, you know, we, we took seriously and, and, you know, I feel like we changed hundreds of lives, man, by, by doing that. And that's such a great thing to do for kids. And and I know that like at, at the school I teach at, we've got an intervention. We've got a teacher that, you know, if kids, if our student athletes are struggling, we put them in there and you take a break from practice and, and you get your grades up because, you know, for me as a golf coach, I got 12 kids. For the head football coach, he's got 100 kids. It's much more difficult for him to do it than it is for, for me to do it. And, you know, when you look at recruits, and you look at kids and you're recruiting so many kids, everything being equal, you know, on the football field, their character and everything. And, and I know the answer to this question, GPA has got to be the determining factor, correct? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that you, uh, if you, if the kids are equal and, and, and ability, then you look at other things, you know, you look at their, like you say, their character and, and how the kid, uh, you know, behaves and, and, those types of things in school. And, and you look at the academics. If a kid is not focused enough to go to class and get good grades and, and those things over a kid that is, is competing in the classroom. I mean, he wants to get the A. To me, that's that's another spot that I, I want kids to compete. Man, when you sit down and take that test, that guy next to me, I'm, I'm kicking his butt. I'm getting a higher score than he is. You know, I'm competing. And, and so I'm, I'm, we're looking at that. And, you know, the, the good colleges are, are, are definitely evaluating that. Yeah, they have to, because you don't then want a kid to, to be on academic probation or have difficulty in the classroom. And being in a school like Yale or Occidental, you, you probably didn't have to worry about it that much as, as maybe some of the other schools out there that have, let's say, less stringent academic requirements. Right. And yeah, and I'd rather I'd rather coach smarter kids than dumber kids. I mean, it's just, hey, you know, that was a great thing. You teach it to them and show them and they, they figure it out. They, they know how to line up sometimes, man. And, you know, after three years, I had to teach this kid how to get, like, get in a three tech, you know, I was like, dude, come on, man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so, um, you know, coaching smart kids, you know, is, is, is more fun, I think, because you can do more things, um, you know, but I think they the, the smart kids also, you know, they want to know why it always used to, you know, and, and at first it was like, cause I'm, you know, cause I told you that's what we're doing, but I, it wasn't when they'd asked me that I, it wasn't that they were challenging me. It was, they wanted a, more of a knowledge to understand what they were doing, you know, so they could, they could do their job better. So once you explain to them, 
why we're doing what we're doing, what the situation is, you know, whether it was uh, a scheme in football or why we were training this way in the off season or what we were, you know, those type of things, as as long as they were, it was explained to them, then they were on board, you know, but uh, it's, it's funny, you know, some kids just follow the herd. Okay, coach, whatever. The, the smart kids, they, they want to know why. Why are we doing it that way, coach? And Because this is the best way to do it, and I this is why, and this is what we're looking for, and this is, you know, and, and then they're like, oh, okay. So, it, it's, you know, it's different. Yeah, it's funny. I asked Tim Linz, an old friend of ours years ago, I was broadcasting a Park game, and I asked him, I said, you know, Tim, what, what's changed in the game and, and are kids smarter today? And he said, yes. And the reason he said that was because they play, they play Madden where they see different things in Madden, different defenses. And, and it's a visual thing for them where they're learning, you know, kind of both sides of the ball. Granted, it's through a video game, but you can see different things. And I thought that was an interesting point that, that he brought up that these kids are a little bit more advanced than say, you know, back in the eighties when we were coaching. Yeah. I think they, they're, they're more exposed to, to all kinds of football and see it on TV. It's on, you know, four nights a week. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're seeing it all the time, the, the Madden, the, you know, so yeah, I think, I think kids do have a little greater football knowledge now. You know, we see kids doing all these seven on seven things, all these travel camps and, you know, this year round stuff and kids take summers off from their own team and their own summer program to go travel all over the, you know, the country to do things. And a lot of these places claim, you know, kids receive offers from these things. But as a college coach, you're not allowed to go to those, are you? The seven on seven stuff, no. I mean, that's that's kind of an outside entity thing that that's not part of your you know because there's only certain times you can go to campus and look at kids and go to games and things like that so you know i think that i think the summer camps are good you know i always would tell the kids okay you know if you've got so many offers or what are the two top schools that you want to go to i mean just off the top who, who do you think are the two top schools and then go to those camps and get yourself in front of those coaches and get to know those coaches and have those coaches get to know you and see you perform and see your personality and things like that, because that's where the offer is going to come from once they, I mean, they can see you and come visit, you know, uh, the school and watch a practice or watch a game, uh, maybe go to a home visit and they'll get it. But man, when you go to a camp and you spend a couple of days with the coaching staff and you see the whole thing, that's when you really could see a kid. I know, you know, at Yale, we that was a big thing for us, man. The kids that came to our summer camp and stood out with their personalities and their effort and their attitude. And, you know, we, we could tell if we liked it, if, you know, we wanted that kid, he fit our culture and what we wanted. Now, all the seven-on-seven seven stuff – you know, I know that it's it's wildly popular with kids these days, and and you know these these guys that run these you know organizations and stuff. How much stock do college coaches and and I don't know, you can't speak for everybody, but you know you've been in a couple of pretty good places. How much stock do you guys put in those things when kids do them, and everybody claims that they're receiving multiple offers from playing football in t-shirts and shorts? Yeah, I, I'm Tony. I just I'm not an expert on that. I, I really don't know the seven on seven stuff as much because that's kind of come up within the last few years. Um, but you know, I mean, you can see a kid 
and it's a skill position kid. I mean, you can watch a kid, a receiver, run routes and his speed and his hands. You can see a DB pedal and, and, and his hips and get out of a break. And you can see, you know, quarterback spin it. So I think you can evaluate, you know, some of the skills. Now, you know, every everybody looks good in, in shorts and shirt. We put the pads on and things change. So I, I would not offer a kid – if I was a coach, I would not offer a kid off of seven on seven. I'd, I'd have to see a real uh, football game with, you know, live bullets. So, you know, full tilt boogie. I want to see that. Yeah. Can a quarterback read the blitz? Can he pick up the blitz? You know, can he, can a receiver make an adjustment on, on, on coverages changing and stuff like that? And I, you know, I, I think it's great for kids to go out and compete, but I, now I'm not at the level you are most people, but I'd rather see a kid play 11 on 11. You know, how do you get after it? How do you hit? How do you respond to getting hit? And and those kinds of things. For sure. You know, a lot of people, you know, kids, they chase that division one dream, but they don't realize that the smaller schools like, like the Occidentals of the world, like the Whittiers of the world, you know, the, the Cal Lutherans, some of those, you know, the Division three schools that are so good academically and the odds of being successful after life are so good. How can we get kids to understand that there, there's more out there than, you know, USC or UCLA because they're only offering a small select number of kids? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think a lot of the parents... And it goes back to parenting, as it always does. But, you know, have, have got to see that, you know, this is another uh, way to do it. I think the biggest thing about the D3 schools that we talked about, things like that, is they are non-scholarship schools. So, you know, parents are going to have to write a check. And a lot of the parents are looking at, you know, the cost of college. And, I mean, you know, the private schools are, you know, $65,000, $70,000 a year. Now, they, they provide financial aid, but, you know, a student going going there is not going to, they're going to graduate with debt, you know, and, and a student loan. Um, you know, if you get a full-ride scholarship to a school, then there is no, you know, that's awesome. Now you have no college debt. So I think, I think sometimes they're looking at that also besides, you know, Johnny's going to play in the NFL, but um, once you realize that, hey, my my son is not going to get a full ride scholarship. Um, I'm going to have to. He's going to have to pay for school. But if he wants to continue to play, and he wants to play college football, there are a lot of places that he can still do that. You know, whether he goes to a junior college, and and obviously tuition is cheaper. And he gets to develop for a year or two there and then get re-recruited. Maybe he wasn't, maybe he grew 30 pounds, got two inches and 30 pounds in those two years. And now he is a D1 guy when he wasn't a D1 guy out of high school, you know, and that's, that's an option. Or it's going to a smaller school and playing, you know, I mean, if you're a guy that goes to USC and you're not very good, you're never going to play now as a, I don't know. I, I wanted to play, you know, I, I didn't want to watch. And so, um, you know, I, I think there's just a lot of different ways to do it. There is a school and a place for every kid that wants to play football. You just got to find it. You got to do your research. You got to, you know, you got to look at all your options and not just box yourself in uh, it's a full ride scholarship or nothing. 
Yeah, I, I constantly tell kids, hey, it's a 40-year decision, not a four-year decision. Look at the alumni network. Look at the, the life after football. Can you get a job after football? Can you use those alumni contacts at that school to help you with your life after football? Because for everybody, football is going to end. Sometimes it's on our terms and sometimes it's not on our terms. But what are you going to do once your career is over? And I think that's the most important thing. Right. And, you know, that's the academics and the, and the, the alumni and the contacts. All those things are, are huge. You know, uh, my son Jake went to Yale. And, um, you know, he, he played there and, and, uh, that network and connections that he has, I mean, he's, he's been out of school now, uh, about six years and he's making more money than I ever did. So, um, <laughs> you know, that's important. And, and Occidental did a, did a great job of that, you know, getting kids prepared and, and the connections and doing the, um, you know, having them come and do internships and, and work experience and things like that, that are going to be after school. And so the thing is great is you, you get to play and have that experience and the camaraderie and the competition and all that, but you're also prepping yourself for after. And uh, you know, that's like you say, 40 years, not four. You mentioned your son and going to Yale and coaching him. How difficult, and you saw Bill Riddell coach, you know, his, his own three, uh, Randy, Billy, and Ronnie. Um, what was it like coaching your own son? Was it, was it different or was it just, he's just another player? How difficult was it to separate the dad's son and the coach player? Well, and I, I, I got out of college coaching when Jake was in high school so I could coach him in high school. I mean, and that was the best thing I ever did, uh, having, uh, you know, having those four years, I coached him in football and baseball. And it was just, you know, it was awesome. And, um, you know, you come, he was a quarterback. And so, you know, you, you middle of a, you know, a tight game at the end and he comes over to the sideline and, you know, the crowd's going crazy and you're asking him, what do you think? What do you want to run? And, you know, just, just having that experience and, and, and that connection with him where I'm coaching first base and he hits a single and he's standing on first base and I'm coaching him. And I, for some reason, I was smart enough to realize this, that situation and, and just enjoy it and, and suck it in. And, and it was it was the best. Um, you know, I coached my daughter a little bit in soccer and softball, but not, you know, full time at the high school level because I was back in college by then. But in high school, coaching him was, um, you know, I was more involved in it. And, uh, you know, he was a quarterback and and, you know, just him growing up around a coach and, and around it all the time and everything. I mean, he knew he knew what to do. He, he knew how to act. He knew how to practice. He knew he knew all those things. He was a coach's kid. So it was it was easier. And, and I was involved. And then when we went to Yale, you know, he was an offensive guy and I coached the D line. So, you know, I didn't have much interaction with him on the football field. Um, you know, it was awesome to see him and be around him and the meetings and coming through and all those things. But, um, yeah, he was, he was just one of those, one of those, you know, offensive sissies. So I didn't really care about him. <laughs> you, you, a son that went to Yale, a daughter that went to Georgetown, 
Where, who's the smart one in the family? You or your wife? And I know the well, answer. I'll give, you, I'll give you one guess, Tony. My <laughs> wife teaches AP calculus. Okay, I taught AP calculus, so you can figure that one out. But uh, oh. no, we were blessed. It, it just the timing of things worked out. When my my friend Tom Williams, who I coached with at University of Hawaii, got the head job at Yale, that opportunity opened up, and then we moved to the East Coast and. Uh, CJ wanted to play. She was a really good softball player, won a state championship in Connecticut and wanted to go to Georgetown. And because we were there, we took her to the camps and got the coach to see her and things like that. And she had that opportunity to go to Georgetown. So uh, very blessed. And they had awesome experiences at those schools and studied abroad and, you know, just did, did all kinds of really cool things. What do you miss about coaching? Uh, the competition, Friday nights and the lights and Saturday. I mean, you know that, that, that those drums start banging and those lights turn on. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm I can still run. I'm 59. I can still run down on a kickoff, Tony. And uh, you know, and and then the other thing is the locker room and the camaraderie and just having the kids and the coaching staff and teasing each other and loving each other and you know just that. Those are the the competition and the and the camaraderie are the two things I miss the most. Yeah, the bus rides and the van rides and all that stuff and just hanging out with the kids. It's, you know, I, I miss that too. And those times at Crespi were just, they were so much fun. And I think a, a little part of me was just, you know, too young and not smart enough to realize the the value and, and the the relationships. And I'm glad that I've had the opportunity to, to reach back out and reestablish those relationships with guys like you and Tim and Bill and rich and jim and it's just man those were some good times and i miss them yeah those those yeah i mean going back with jim and seeing jim after all those years and it was like we were 1985 again we we're just busting each other's balls and having a good time and laughing and and you know it was it was awesome and tim you know tim was my college roommate besides teammate at cal Liz, so i've known lens forever and i call him up on the phone and we just laugh you know it's just the same it never changes because He's, those guys are my brothers, man, and and uh, you know that's that's something that uh, I feel very blessed that I've I've had a chance to you know coach with and and be around men like that, and uh, it's it's always good. Yeah, it's it's always a good time, and I always enjoy you know going out and doing a Moore Park game and seeing Tim Linz and and John Kidder, you know, doing an Oaks Christian game and seeing Bill, you know, coaches grandkids and 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 just you know, kind of catching back up with people. It's just, it's such a good thing. Hey, before I let you go, I want to ask you just five uh, sports-related questions. And whatever <laughs> comes to mind, fire away. Your favorite football movie of all time? Remember the Titans. Favorite sport to play growing up? Football. Favorite sport to watch? Football. All right, and and I know your favorite one to coach is probably football, correct? <laughs> yeah, you know I have a I was a wrestler, and um, you know I was our my high school was mediocre in football, but we were a wrestling powerhouse, and uh, I actually you know was third in the state in Arizona my senior year should have won it, uh, and uh, so I love wrestling and. Uh, when I was at Crespi those years, you know, I, I got the opportunity to start that wrestling program at Crespi. And so, um, and then at Kahuku years at Kahuku, we had a big wrestling program too. And I always helped there. So 
I, I, I really enjoy uh, working with the kids and wrestling too. I think that's such a tough sport. You got to be such a tough guy to wrestle. So um, that's, that's part of me too. And it totally helps linemen as well, especially in that, those close quarters. I, I think all linemen should, should go out and wrestle because it helps so much. Oh, definitely. The leverage and the body control and, and the physicality, it's, it's, yeah, it, it definitely does. And, and it's just, and you just got to be tough, man. I mean, you know, it's, there's no, nothing easy about uh, wrestling. So uh, the guys that could do that, you know, were just had that little bit extra. And I think sometimes that came across on the football field too. I always pushed for as many football players as possible to wrestle. Yeah, I agree. And as many sports as possible too. Well, Doug, I, it, it is great catching up, man. I, I am so glad we got to do this. I cannot thank you enough. I know that you're retired. You're on a beach in Puerto Rico. Uh, that just must be awful, you know, being out there in the sun and the surf all day, every day. Uh, how's your golf game? Uh, okay. I don't play as much here. I, I, uh, didn't have, I don't have the access as easily as, uh, I did in Hawaii. I played a lot in Hawaii when we were there, but, uh, it's all right. You know, I, I can, I can hold my own if we're, you know, playing for uh, some skins or something. I'll, I'll put it close to the cup. A couple of cold <laughs> ones at the end of the round, right? <laughs> Drive for show, putt for dough, baby. Um, there you go, man. There, there you go. And well, a, hey, a, quick, a quick out, quick shout out to Johnny Gates, man, for uh, connecting. Yeah. Us. Well, he calls me the other day and I get this call from Mammoth Lakes. I'm like, Oh, is this a telemarketer? And he just, I don't know who it is. And he starts in on me, man, your podcast is not very good. And I don't know about you. You thought you were a good coach at Crespi. And I'm like, who, I, you know what? Hey, buddy. And I they use some different language. At what point am I going to hang up on you right now? And he says, no, no, no. Hey, coach, it's Johnny Gates. How, how are you? How are you? So, and, and we laughed for a good time. And, and he and I have been in touch, uh, you know, the last few months. And, and he listens to the podcast. And, and I want to thank him for getting me your number and getting us in touch so we can walk down memory lane a little bit. Yeah. He came and, uh, he came and visited a few weeks ago in Puerto Rico. So it was good to see him. And he, he, he talked about you and he said, you gotta, you gotta connect it. And I said, all right, get it done. I'll be glad to do it. That'd be fun. So. Yeah, this is, this is fun for me. I enjoy it. It keeps me involved without having to coach. All right, Tony. Well, thank you. And uh, take care you guys. Uh, hope the, the fires and everything are, are under control down there and uh, you, everybody stay safe. Yep. We're hoping the same thing. We're hoping the numbers for COVID go down and we can hopefully have a football season this year and, uh, you know, get these kids back into school and out on a, whatever field or court or arena they're performing in. So Doug, thanks so much, man. Um, you know, in, enjoy that retirement. We'll, we'll talk soon. Okay, buddy. Thanks. If you enjoyed the podcast, please uh, don't be shy about hitting the subscribe button. If you've got any suggestions for it, please hit me up via email, tonymoskal at gmail.com or at Tony Moskal on Twitter. I want to thank Doug Simonis. Great conversation about coaching, uh, building cultures, recruiting, and, and a whole lot of other stuff. Uh, stay safe out there, and until next time, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.